six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. We have commit and we have liftoff at 213. And it has cleared the tower. Prepare yourself for a world Good morning, everybody. Conley here with the Science Nights in the Morning. I have two nights assembled this morning. We have all the way from down under Dr. Sean Graham and Dr. Honorvon Bhattacharji here in the studio. Mm -hmm. What's up, Honorvon? How are you doing, man? Nothing much. It's going on. Life is as usual. Classes, right? And then... <laughs> I got my first shot. I don't know if I mentioned that, so that's good. You got your first one. Yeah. Did you get sick? Not really. A little bit of sore arm so yeah. for a day. So yeah. J&J &J or the M? Uh, Moderna one. There you go. So, All right. That's what see. I'm talking about. Sean, how are you doing from down under, man? I'm doing good. Doing good. It's starting to feel like fall weather down here. We're coming into <sighs> fall on the other side of the world. I am uh, very jealous, but uh, definitely going to have to make a trip down there uh, very soon. Uh, sure. it, anyway, we have a really fun show for you all today. We're going to be talking about something that destroys cities and worlds, even. Uh, of course, I'm talking about the atomic bomb, the doomsday clock, as some uh, could call it. And uh, we're going to talk about the physics behind it the scientists involved, and really what the atomic bomb does. Now, there is a famous quote. I'm not going to quote it verbatim, uh, but this was by Albert Einstein. It's very well known, but if you don't know it, here it is. It's uh, something to the effect where Albert Einstein says, okay, if we're using weapons in war World War II like this, well, then I'm not sure what weapons we're going to use in World War III but I do know that in uh, the wars after, we're going to be fighting with sticks and stones. Very powerful message there. And it kind of makes you think that uh, us as a civilization can kind of go down a few levels. Right, Sean? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, that's we all grew up. Well, I grew up hearing that quote and, and being scared of it. You know, I grew up in the 80s. I was still a kid in the 80s when, when the Cold War was still going strong. And I remember, like, my, one of my biggest fears when I was a kid. It's crazy to think. I don't think this is very common anymore. But my one of my biggest fears was of a nuclear holocaust. Yeah. <laughs> it wow. was not out of the question. Um, and honestly, it's still not out of the question. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff going on geopolitically right now that, you know, a nuclear war is still not out of the question. I think it's more likely it would be between the U.S. and China. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's totally possible. Um, and, it, and it's scary. Well, you know, it was very common for uh, my, you know, my parents remember growing up with uh, this turtle mascot. I think it was Bert the Turtle or, or something similar um, where, you know, duck and cover just in case a nuclear bomb comes. Well, you know what? Hey, got to get under <laughs> yeah. that desk and. Uh, Put your yeah. hands behind your head like that's going to help, right? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, very, very scary. Now, let's – let's before we really get into the science, because, Honorbon, we're really relying on you for the science on how we extract this kind of power, unbridled power from the smallest thing we know, mm -hmm. right? The atom. Um, 
Well, let, let's start back in the Stone Age, right? So we started with the Stone Age. And, Sean, are there any animals right now that are in the Stone Age that you think? Well, you know, the Stone Age, it's interesting. These these things move along like they do, but there are still hunter-gatherers that could be considered um, Stone Age people. Uh, you know, they, when you move from one of these ages, and these are kind of antiquated uh, terms that archaeologists don't really use anymore, but they're still kind of fun to talk about. But, you know, Stone Age people, when, when you invent you know, bronze, you don't, every person on earth doesn't immediately enter the bronze age. So there's kind of a time lag. So there's still hunter gatherer people. There's still, uh, there was a great national geographic article, uh, maybe 10 years ago about the last cave people mm. that were living in caves in New Guinea. And we're, we're having a hard time and we're, we're starting to think about giving up that life and moving down, uh, and moving to a city. So like that, the end of the stone age is may be well and truly kind of coming upon us, but yeah, here we are in the nuclear age and people are still, uh, you know, there are still some people in the world who live a hunter gatherer existence. Hmm, interesting. So, okay. Well, Hey, they're still here, but now we have, uh, the bronze age, right? I mean, we, we realized these metals can slash things better than rock. Right. So we start forging and we start crafting these tools that can basically, you know, give us more resources that other people have gathered. So we start fighting with each other. And then after the Bronze Age, we have what? The Iron Age? Iron Age yeah. The Iron Age. I'm quoting Age of Empires, by the way. I mean, I love that game. If you ever played it, I highly recommend yeah. you play it. I love that game. No, I haven't played the new ones, but I've played a lot of the Age of Empires 2, so I know what you mean. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yes. Age of Empires yeah. 2 is my game, too, yeah. man. Uh, but so after, after your Bronze Age, you get a better form of steel, a better technology, your Iron Age. And then you have more aerial kind of weapons with like bows and arrows and and ballistas. You get uh, the Romans. I mean, mm -hmm. perfected warfare. Uh, you get even to some biological warfare by using the Black Death, the mm -hmm. Black Plague. They would actually use catapults to launch uh, infected, infected bo bodies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Infected bodies over into the castles, and boom, like they'd take out the whole population. Uh, and then we get to, you know, gunpowder, right? Napoleonic Wars and mm -hmm. and everything like that. Uh, wild West, the Wild Wild West. But this era that um, happened, uh, do you know, do you remember what date we perfected this technology? Anyone? The, uh, you mean the first nuclear test, the Trinity yeah, test? Yeah, uh -huh, the Trinity test. Uh, I just saw it because I was kind of doing some background research. I'm not going to remember it specifically, but it, it was, was in crazy, the 40s, right? Mm -hmm. It's July July 19th, 1945. Mm, okay. But I'm wrong. There's no way I'm right about that. But it was July 1945, which is crazy because we dropped the bomb on Japan a month later. Wow. That's... As soon as we, as soon as we, we like tested it. Okay, now send these things over there to blow them up. Oh as soon as gosh. it was done, <laughs> it's crazy. Oh. Yeah, the, the story behind this is is a remarkable historical event, and um, you know, I'm I know a little bit about this. I was joking with you guys about it. I said I was an expert on this. I'm not, but I read an amazing book that I feel like everybody should read 
called The Making of the Atomic Bomb by uh, Richard Rhodes, which mm. won the Pulitzer Prize for, non, for uh, general nonfiction. And there's a good reason for it. It's really well written and it's super interesting. And it's all about the Manhattan Project. Oh, the Manhattan uh, Project. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, yeah. Um, let's uh, let's go ahead and get into the scientists that actually made this happen. Yeah, and Arban, uh, do, who who? I mean, there's a ton of them. Uh, so, do you have some key? Uh, figures well, let's in set mind? let's set the scene because you know you have yes. Hitler and the Nazi Party. Just imagine mm -hmm. if Hitler had the atomic bomb. Well, Just yeah. imagine. So that's one of the things, the, one of the key things I learned from reading this book, which I don't think is common knowledge, which should be, is that um, every major government involved in World War II was working on the bomb, not just us. <laughs> right. Everybody. The Russians were. The Brits were. The Germans were. The Japanese were. It, it was a race. And, and kind of everybody knew it. Everybody knew it was a race. So all the kind of foundational physics... Uh, that had been done to kind of theoretic, uh, theoretical physics that that uh, you know suggested that this was possible had already been done and and was kind of out there and written for 10, 20 years. Uh, you know, it had been hypothesized. In fact, uh, one of the first people who kind of thought that this was possible was Ju uh, not Jules Verne, but um, oh, what the hell's his name? H.G. Wells. Uh, the world. H.G. Wells. Yeah. He wrote about nuclear bombs in, in like the 1910s and 20s or even earlier. Hmm. And he thought he thought that what, what these things would do is they would blow up and they'd be these sustained chain reactions and that these bombs would go off and continue to go off. So there'd be these big orbs of like explosions going on for like 10,000 years, which is kind of an interesting thought. But that's kind of what he thought a nuclear weapon would end up being like. But so all the all the physics gets worked out, and then every government on Earth knew that this was a possibility. Yeah, and really only only we really put the effort into trying to get it. But everybody was working on it throughout World War II, but nobody put in the kind of dollars and effort that we did. And was it's that... a damn thing we did. Yeah, because if if the war had gone on for another five years, um, and it probably would have if we hadn't come up with the bomb. Um, the, the Germans could have gotten there first. And let me tell you, if they'd gotten there first, this would be a totally different oh, totally planet. different planet. Yeah. If the, if the Japanese, if the Imperial Japanese had gotten a hold of this first, it would be a completely different planet right now. And if our allies in world war two, the Russians had gotten it first, we'd be living in a completely different world right now. It's a damn that? thing. It's a damn good thing. I mean, if the Russians got it, like it would be an actual socialist state than what oh, yeah. people think. What it, would it is, be, the Soviet <laughs> Union would be uh, would have taken over all of Europe. Yeah. I got yeah, here yeah. just in the nick of time. There would have been nothing them. to stop them. <laughs> so Thomas is and here. We we might be lucky enough that uh, you know the United States uh, might have been able to keep this facade of friendliness towards Russia, but certainly all of Europe would be um, under Russian rule right now. Uh, at at the very least, and the Soviet Union would would have uh, you know been the only superpower left after World War II. Do you it's think totally our different. Do you think our trump card was that we accept scientists from all over the world, all different races, religions, creeds? Like, like we didn't care. We just want that technology. I mean, I believe Oppenheimer, uh, whenever he, I mean, not expressed in the sixties. What's that? 
not till 1960s. I mean, this is really not deviating from like uh, America really didn't have open border till 1960s, as you said. The re the ones that you are talking about are the like the, the scientists who are fleeing from the Nazi regime. Mm. Yes. That's more like yes. a, that's a different uh, political uh, thing. So there is a thing about accepting all that all changed after 1960s Immigration Act. And then you had more scientists from other places showing up. It's a, it's a little technically little different. There, I'm not. This is not a political show, but no, I'm no, just no. saying. Yeah. I'm well, just saying. I think we we're a little more welcoming than, yeah. than no, Hitler and, and the Soviet. Oh Union. yeah, I mean in that regard, yeah. But it's not like things were. I'm just saying it's a little bit different. But going into that, what I was going to say about um, the scientist involved. So when Sean was saying that, we actually covered one of the scientists uh, called Lise, uh, no Lise Meitner, who oh. was uh, going to get a Nobel Prize but didn't get because the selection committee involved wasn't uh, working in her field to know the thing. So the so you have Otto Hahn who actually. Uh, does the actual extraction of the nuclear material for the bomb, while on the other hand, Meitner is the one who does the theoretical calculation for to purify and how to extract stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, th that happens around 1938 to um, to get that thing rolling. Okay. Well, let me let me share this with everybody because we're about to get into the cutting edge science that happened. But after the first test of the atomic bomb, then there was a reaction by every scientist in the room. And who better to uh, to kind of describe or illustrate with words this reaction than uh, Robert Oppenheimer? Let's listen to it. He knew the world would not be the same. Two people laughed. Few people cried. Most people were silent. I remembered the line from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita. Vishnu is trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and to impress him takes on his multi-armed form and says, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that one way or another. Wow. That, that is, uh, it's pretty chilling. <laughs> it's very <laughs> chilling. Uh, but, but that poet, the poetic religious text that he refers to, I mean, that just makes it even more powerful. That this is the reality mm -hmm. now. And in order to do this, uh, we have about five more minutes in this uh, first particular segment. First off, welcome, Dr. Thomas Schiller. Howdy. You, he uh, transited time and space. Yeah, I had a, a dinosaur <laughs> emergency I had to attend to. A little defibrillator action going <laughs> yeah, on yeah. a dinosaur. Okay. Okay. Cool. No, but uh, okay. So we have another five minutes left in this segment. Let's talk about the scientists involved in this, right? Mm. We had Einstein. Mm -hmm. We had Feynman. We had Oppenheimer. Yeah. And we had the one you were just talking about. Uh, yeah, they were not directly involved. They were still, like, um, I think in Germany or or in Europe or something. So I don't think they were directly involved, but they were, like, 
you know, they lay the scientific foundation. For mm-hmm. example, Einstein was not directly involved in the Manhattan Project, and Sean can correct me. He was like one who said, um, uh, "We sh- need the bomb." And, That's right. Yeah, um, and so there, Einstein wasn't there, like at Hanford, uh, refining uranium. He wasn't at Los Alamos, mm-hmm. but he played a crucial role in our effort because he signed on to uh, when the first scientists approached the um, the Department of Defense people, the U.S. administration, trying to convince them that we needed to work on this. They got Einstein to sign off on that. And Einstein was very famous at the time. Nobody had ever heard of these other you know, scrubs who mm-hmm. were kind of doing this, but everybody knew Einstein. He was like, you know, the Neil deGrasse Tyson of the 1930s I mean, and 40s. This is, yeah, this is Neil deGrasse Tyson without internet, without television <laughs> yeah, yeah, or anything. Yeah, so yeah. He was the face, he was the face of physics, face of science. And here he walks into like the, the administration offices and they're saying, look, this is theoretically possible and we need to get it first or else it's our ass. And Einstein signs off on that. So he plays a crucial role in in the American investment in this project. And we invested a ton of money and time into this project. And this is kind of what you were talking about. It's like, what was the difference between the US and other countries? Like other mm-hmm. countries did work on this, but we went all in and partially this was this was because of Einstein. Mm-hmm. Well, and Einstein, the, Einstein helped convince the administration that they, this needed to happen. So I was going to say, uh, when you say the scope, the number of people involved were in 130,000 people were involved. Yes. In this like, inter- people, like something like 60,000 people were, worked at Hanford yeah. uh, refining plutonium. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people worked at Oak Ridge in Tennessee re- refining uranium. All these people had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> and they were getting <laughs> the all, test site ready in Alamogordo right yeah. by here. Yeah. So then, they were and like, then that, yeah. yeah, the scientists at Los Alamos, that was a small number of people compared to the industrial scale uh, refinement of the materials that they would need to use to, to make the first bombs. Wow. That was like an industrial scale project where it was like huge numbers of people getting bussed back and forth. And none of these people even knew what they were working on. They just worked for the government. Right. They're, ex- they're getting, yeah. And, and you have to was, make sure like that yeah. when you're extracting, suddenly you ramp up the production of uranium, uh, Russians and British people were uh, kind of like, yeah, um, like you know, yeah, well, uh, yeah, you have to keep <laughs> that secret. So this is like a huge yeah. thing going on. And yeah, it's funny, yeah. there's there's an interesting story. The the Germans had a kind of a parallel project going on where they were trying to refine um what is it? Um heavy water, heavy uh, heavy deuterium, water. They, yeah. Yeah, deuterium. Yeah. They're trying it's to figure out a way their their project was kind of focused on deuterium. And so they were they were getting industrial levels of that stuff. And you know what we did when we found out they were doing that? We went in there with commandos and blew up the factory. <laughs> in Norway. So in America. Norway, yeah. In yeah. fact, it wasn't yeah. Americans who did it. We got the Norwegians to do it. Norwegian commandos went in there and blew the place up. Wow. And so it's funny, like, you know, there's a reason why we won that war. And again, it's a good thing we did because the Germans were not good people um, in, in that war. And we were kind of, you know, we I, I give America a lot of uh, uh, grief sometimes. I'm too critical. But when it comes to stuff like this, you know, objectively, it's a good thing we won that war. Well, we, the, were the, we were the benevolent democracy in that war. At the same time, you talk about all this money and these funds and all this effort that uh, we put in into being first, right? Getting 
you know, the first uh, grasp, the the first feel of this technology. And then a, a few months, what, uh, was it a month or a couple months later that we uh, just ignited it? And that's, well, that's due because if we didn't, then that would have all been a waste, right? Well, that's a, that's you, a serious question. We, we're, we're about but, to go to yeah. uh, a commercial break. <laughs> but I'm prefacing our next segment on that. Yeah, we should talk about yeah. that. Okay, all right. Uh, we'll see you after the break. All right, everybody. We are back with the Science Nights. Dr. Thomas Schiller joining us right now. And uh, Dr. Anurban Bhattacharji also all the way from down under Australia. We have Dr. Sean Graham. Now, before the break, I was talking about all the time, effort, the money, uh, the the most brilliant minds from all around the world, the best scientists, America put that as number one priority to figure out this puzzle, extracting immense power from the smallest thing that we know, the atom. And at the time, we were putting in so much money as Americans, right? Well, if we didn't use that technology, uh, would, would there be a backlash? Would people say, oh, hey, you just wasted all this money? Like, what are you that's, doing? It's probably not the big reason, big thing that they were considering when they were de- debating whether or not to drop the thing. Well, there's uh, a big debate, though, right? Well, it wasn't about m- the money. Uh, that The American people would have never known that we spent any of that money. I mean, it was so secret. Oh, really? Um, it, the debate was whether or not it was, was ethical. And this is, there was very few people um, that really thought, no, we shouldn't use it. Um, at the time. So the debate is largely like 2020 hindsight. People, oh, why didn't you just drop it into Tokyo Bay? And there's there's a, th- this book, you know, The Making of the Atomic Bomb really does a good job of, 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 of kind of putting, a, putting you back in the time of 1945. And, and, okay, things that people never realize or, do, or don't really consider. We were carpet bombing Japan for a year. Yeah. The fires. Every city. Yeah. Every city with fire for incendiary bombs. Um, we had complete air superiority over Japan for months, and we were sending bombers over all their major cities, burning the place to a cinder. Um, we were killing more people with conventional bombs than the two atomic bombs hmm. ever killed. The re- Here's the thing that you learn from this book. The reason why we chose Hiroshima and Nagasaki, they were one of the few big industrial cities that we hadn't already damaged. Hmm. That's why. Because if we dropped it on Tokyo, the thing was half destroyed anyway. And the Japanese were not going to surrender. So the next place we were going to go after Okinawa, which was a total disaster and horrifying, just destroyed civilians, Japanese people, American soldiers. The next place we were going to have to go was mainland Japan. It was Mm going to take years. It was going to kill tens of thousands of Americans, Japanese, and civilians. And so we dropped those bombs on two cities and, and ended the war. And so that was, that was why we did it. It wasn't because we wanted to light up two cities. We were already doing that. So in order to describe what had happened when we actually dropped the bomb on those cities, right? I mean, there's a giant – Honorbon, you can help me out with this. So first off, there's this giant flash that kind of blinds you mm-hmm. in, in the eyes. And then afterwards, there is like an explosion or – or 
do do people actually watch their their hands just like come apart while they're evaporated in, in the bomb? I'm talking about the actual explosion itself, and then you have the fire that comes out from the bomb. Like to to, to just watch the mushroom cloud happen is it's scary, but it's also amazing at the same time. Um, uh, I don't know about the bones and uh, like the flesh and everything evaporating. So the flash is. The light that mm -hmm. is coming. So obviously you're going to see it immediately pretty yeah. much. And then you have the uh, the nuclear material that has been expelled, like mm. the radioactive material that's coming out and all those energetic particles depending on how light they are. So they will come and flood you out, uh, flood towards you. You'll have that. And then you will have the, the rest of the material coming in and you'll have the heat wave and the following the shock wave. I don't mm -hmm. know which one will come first. I think the shock wave, the air pressure wave will come first, then you'll have the heat wave. But uh, um, I don't know what is the exact, how, how far do you have to be from a heat wave to not to feel the temperature rise? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it depends. Uh, it, I, it is not that as much. Uh, it is a much smaller radius compared to the air air. The, the wave that you see coming towards you and, mm -hmm. the, and all those stuff. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. And those are the immediate effects, not to mention right. the, the fallout and everything yeah. that, that follows after. You know, People well, who weren't immediately killed by the blast, there were still a lot of people who were killed in the following weeks we, and months. Yeah, I mean, I mean look at mm -hmm. I mean, one of them, famous, the scientist who pretty much worked on radioactivity, Mary Curie, right? And uh, she did not die immediately. She died slowly, right? because of the radiation coming out of it. And this thing also has similar stuff uh, that will come out of it. And even if you don't feel any immediate, like, that kind of stuff, you'll have those particles coming through you, and you'll get infected and you'll die later. Mm. Now, Hiroshima and Nagasaki are both places you can go and visit today, mm -hmm. but how long did it take for, for that radioactive material to, to go away? I mean, with the wind, it was gone pretty soon. I mean... It's. I mean, it's not like... Uh, it doesn't stick around for a yeah, long, it, long yeah, time. Yeah, this is not a Chernobyl where it seeps into the ground and you have you still have the reactor in there with yeah. the stuff. So, yeah, you yeah. still can't go visit Chernobyl. <laughs> yeah, so it's still there. Along with the uh, four-headed deer and and uh, fish with tentacles <laughs> yeah, and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. That's a rumor, yeah. though. Well, this okay. is one of those things that I think is, um, you know... It makes me wonder because Chernobyl seems like a disaster, but they also, you know, there is there is stuff living near Chernobyl now, and it's become almost like this little biological preserve, even though the things that are there aren't particularly healthy. And it makes me wonder whether or not, you know, uh, if if we had a 1950s style nuclear war, if it was that limited, whether or not civilization could actually survive it, it would just it would kill millions of people and destroy huge areas and there would be areas where you know people would be dying of cancer at remarkable rates for years but life would go on it's, it's not pleasant to think about not, not something we should like go oh well cool we could survive a nuclear war so we should totally have nuclear wars <laughs> but i do think that maybe the uh the whole idea of a nuclear winter scenario and the end of civilization the end of life on earth might be a little far-fetched yeah hmm. Yeah, well, it is kind of delving into science fiction a little bit, you know. But it's not yeah. far-fetched to think that our grandkids, or not grandkids, but great-great-great-grandkids can remember back 
to us, like, you know, speaking through these little stones and, you know, yeah, having I mean, the technology we can, because that can happen at any yeah. time. We can always yeah. be moved back a few notches in civilization. Yeah. Hopefully oh, sure. that would definitely, it would change history for sure. And it would make yeah. things, it make World War II look like child's play. <laughs> um, but, you know, I remember there's a great book, one of the first kind of nuclear war dystopias is this, oh, what's it called? Uh, Alas, Babylon. You guys should read that if you if you haven't. It's about you know it's one of the first nuclear war kind of scenarios, and um, people in Florida survive it. Everybody else is dead. <laughs> but what ends up happening is like developing nations in the tropics end up being the only places left where you know civilization kind of carries on. So places like Brazil, Mexico, Indonesia, more or less become the global superpowers, and the northern hemisphere is like just bombed in the stone ages hmm. and i could see something like that happening i could see people outside of the main areas um where the bombs drop doing you know reasonably okay rates of cancer globally would probably skyrocket i've, I've got a, a dumb biology genetics question for you sean mm -hmm. so if if um if like a nuclear blast or being exposed to radiation can lead to mutation uh-huh can that be, is that heritable? If so? Yeah, so if it, if it were to affect the germline, um, you know, it, it, mutations on the, um, so there's two different kinds of body cells. Your somatic cells, your body cells, are like just the ordinary cells that are everywhere. Um, and those can become cancer cells, you know, if, if it, something happens to them. And that's what would happen. You know, if you have tons of all this radioactive material around, it's just carcinogenic. And so it could cause all these skin cancers, can uh, kill you outright pretty quickly. If it affects the sperm and egg cells, it can cause, to, it could lead to generational changes, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the kind of mutations that are, are uh, going to get inherited, passed on. Those are the ones that lead to evolution. Mm -hmm. So mutations can happen to any of your body cells. And the ones that happen to your normal body cells that aren't passed on can change you during your lifetime and can lead to, you know, cancer. Um, changes that happen to your gonads uh, could be inherited generationally. Okay, so and like either a, of those two, th either of those two things could happen after uh, you know fallout. Yeah, so like a prolonged nuclear winter could potentially change the drive rate. evolution. Oh, definitely, definitely, and I, I think that we're seeing that in like the animals near Chernobyl. Like as long as they reproduce before those kind of uh, abnormalities occur. Uh, life will go on. It'll be in a different way, and it's not something we necessarily want. But, you know, there are plants and animals living near Chernobyl and getting affected by it, and, uh, you know, they are reproducing, and they are pulling it off. Uh, it's not, you know, we don't want that kind of world, but again, like, you know, it's it's not necessarily the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And I was going to say, yeah, and then they evolve and they are a different evolution. And you have on the tropical people, well, you have the normal people sitting there, right? And then the normal people wants to get robots to protect them, right? Because <laughs> the other side is evolved into like yeah. with weird powers, right? Now and we're then, getting really into the sci-fi. <laughs> This sounds like something that you've read. I just finished reading. Are there vampires? No, no, no. I just read House of X, Power of X, this new, the release of the Marvel X-Men stuff. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, okay. Now, let's get, we have about five minutes left in this break here, or before the next break. Let's get into the science. 
How does this work? How do we, how did these scientists figure out, okay, there's an atom mm. and it's spinning. We just need to change that spin a little bit. It's not that spinning. So, uh, so this is why Einstein's name comes uh, so much in this thing is because even though it's not involved, other than the letter, he also said E equals MC squared. So mm -hmm. you get the mass and you can convert it into energy. So now people realize you can convert little chunks of matter into energy, and the, and a little chunk of matter releases huge amount of energy. Mm. So, um, so as you can see, c is a big number because c is the velocity of light. So you can take a little bit of matter and produce a lot of energy. Yeah. So um, that leads us to now thinking: Well, let's look in what kind of material does this stuff produces energy so that's how we came to know of radioactivity of radium um, decaying into something else radium basically losing um, uh, and releasing one how, how do I say it every atom has in, in itself like uh, um, a nucleus which has a certain number of protons and certain number of neutrons and at a, after some level uh, if you keep on increasing the number of protons, uh, it kind of becomes um, not stable. So it wants to break down to the stable kind of relationship because protons have a positive charge, and if you take and the positive charge is repelled. So if you put a lot of them in a small space, they want to like go out. Mm -hmm. So there is a, another thing called balances. Uh, there's a th uh, phenomena called strong force, which kind of overcomes them, keeps them stuck together, but after some time, you can't just keep on packing them. Universe has packed them using certain processes, but they want to f release the extra protons in some fashion and come back to a stable state. And that so, happens naturally. That happens naturally. Isotopes. Isotopes, yeah. So, like, for example, carbon-13, the dating, carbon-C14 dating, and all those kind of stuff. So, it's uh, uh, going... So, basically, this is happening naturally, and you know... That when let's say um, atom X has twenty protons and it's unstable and it's going to release 50, fifteen and it's going to go down to fifteen and it's going to release five protons. So what people found out that when it releases that five protons, that five plus fifteen oh. is not equal to twenty anymore. Right. So then you have a little bit of discrepancy in mass. And that mass gets released as energy in that. And process. it's a chain reaction that yeah, goes. It's not like a chain reaction. Not infinite, though. No, you just have to keep on going till you are done with all those unstable atoms decaying into stable states, into going down from twenty to fifteen, all the twenty that needs. But to it's be spontaneous. There. It's spontaneous. It will happen. So, so are two uh, atomic bomb explosions exactly the same, or are they variant? I mean, if you make it out of the same material, it's the same thing. I mean, the process. Oh, is it the will. Same. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So if you make yeah, it out of the, the part, the part I think you're thinking of the chain reaction, Conley, is mm -hmm. the way you get a, a big atomic explosion. Mm -hmm. is yeah. You would you you have to get you know if you just there is no there's no element that if you just have one proton fling off of it, it releases so much energy, like one element, one atom releasing a proton, it's not gonna it's not gonna give you that. You have to have multiple, multiple uh, element, uh, you know, multiple atoms flinging their protons off, causing additional protons to fling off, causing additional protons to fling off to get that fission chain reaction that causes the nuclear. 
explosion. Explosion. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So big things come in small packages. Therefore, yeah, it's like you have to do the, to get the big you to get the big thing. You have to do it in a very small time. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Huge amount. Is that why uh, short people are so scrappy? Yes, that is why Hitler happened. Oh so, man. Yeah. Oh gee. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't going Hitler, but okay. Well, you now always we go Hitler. <laughs> now, now we go. Now we go. Uh, Let's the, go with Napoleon. 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 Hey, so it's a little more PG thirteen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> People don't ne- remember Napoleon well enough, I guess. So. Oh, I do. Uh, okay. No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway. Uh, so I was just going to say, um, uh, towards the end, right? You have this DK and everything. So. In, uh, what you will have in basic atom bomb is explode like a small amount of uh, normal explosive, like a t- TNT kind of stuff in a small space. And when that happens, you have kept your all the, this is called fissile material, mm-hmm. which is going to be exploding in a small space. And when the uh, explosion happens of the conventional TNT, so that like pushes all the, Fissile material, the uranium two twenty thirty five in a small space, and the reaction speeds up. Wow! So yeah, yeah, that's amazing. All right, well, hey, we're reaching our last segment, and we've talked a little bit about the science. Now let's talk about the future. And after the break, we're going to go over a little bit about what. Hopefully, this won't ever happen, but what is the evolution of the atomic bomb? So uh, we're going to talk about that after this. Okay, so we started out this show by talking about Albert Einstein, his prediction that he doesn't know what kind of weapons we'll use in World War III, but we do know that the war after will use sticks and stones, right? So now, Science Knights, let's talk about the future of bombs. Some bombs we use nowadays and possible ones we could use in the future. What do you think? What what do we use now? Now we just send drones with little bombs to take people. Tiny, out. like yeah. very yeah. targeted autonomous drones. Yeah. yeah, we did that just recently. wasn't wasn't really in the news Yema? that much. Bomb, mm. uh, wedding or something? I don't. It wasn't a wedding no. this time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, many weddings. <laughs> many <Classic>. weddings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was gonna say, yeah, yeah we uh, we we the, where we left off. We were talking about fission bombs, the very first ones, the only nuclear bombs that have ever been used in in combat were were fission bombs and we soon after developed hydrogen um fusion bombs uh which are even more powerful and, mm. and i guess and kind of simpler to use and and um even more powerful way more powerful those are the ones that could kill worlds if you use plenty of them um but yeah they're they're still around um and i don't i don't know what the future is to be honest with you some people say that the fact that we have nuclear weapons has actually prevented some major wars. Oh, wow. there might be there might be t- some truth to that. I mean, there have been no major wars between nuclear between any of the nuclear powers since any of them developed weapons. Um, yeah, I guess the question is proxy uh, wars, but not not no real ones. And well, so some people argue that they prevent wars, and I, I don't know. Well, it it really gives ourselves a question: How well can we control ourselves? Right. Or, yeah. or the big question is, is how well can we control the the erratics out there? You know, the yes, not the nations yes. that are that are quote unquote peaceful and get along, but like North Korea and places like that. That yeah, if they got their hands on a fusion bomb, could potentially t- 
destroy yeah. some nations. Well, North North wow. North Korea has nuclear weapons. They're in the nuclear club. They mm. did it. Uh, they haven't used them on and and it's probably you know people they they would easily say I'm sure they would say the only reason why we haven't been smoked off the map is because we got these things and that's what Iran you know and that's why they're trying to do it it's because they know that once you have them there's a you know Pakistan has them uh, there's a certain degree of uh, uh, you know it's the same logic of we need more guns to keep the place safe. It's the same line. So it's like a good old traditional Mexican standoff. Yeah, it is. We're yeah. all pointing the guns at each other. And mm. here's the thing about Pakistan and India having it between um, between them, they're both like over 1.6 or 1.7 billion people, mm-hmm. and in a small space. And then you have China right there. So it's not a fun. If the <laughs> yeah, it's a not a fun place for to think about nuclear wars. No. Yeah, well, no. concentration. I mean, being more concentrated is a mm-hmm. is that. I mean, that's your downfall, really. I mean, those so. three countries pretty much would account for that area. Would be like half of world's population. Yeah. To, so yeah. So, yeah. I want to refer back, if you, if I could, real quick to the, the um, another really cool thing I learned from the book. If I keep talking about this enough, no, no, gonna, no, yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah. good. It's good. Keep uh, going. But. Uh, Another misconception is that, um, and you'll hear people talk about this all the time, man, the scientists invented this thing and they gave us this Pandora's box and it's all the scientists' fault. You know, in a way, okay, fine. Scientists came up with this. And again, if American scientists hadn't pulled this off, it would be a totally different place. But after the development of the bomb, scientists came together in an effort to change policy. Hmm. scientists took it upon themselves to say hey look i don't know if you guys knew this or not but we just changed the world and it's up to us now we all the world is different now we dropped these bombs the world's totally different we need to all come together and work out a way to keep the genie in the box and you know what the american and all the other governments in the world told them to do stick it I mean, uh, I mean, all so the go people... back to your big old book learning. Yeah. Uh, go back to your book learning. We'll handle it from here. Uh, so okay. the policymakers, those people, the politicians, they didn't take that opportunity, and then now we've got what we've got today: the so, arms race, the space race, the whole thing. I mean, one of the very interesting thing about that group was pretty much everyone involved in the project became a pacifist. And mm-hmm. uh, including Oppenheimer, who led the project, and everybody, yeah. so they became this. But they tried to do the right thing. They tried to get. Uh, to yeah, I mean, you can they, say that. Listen to them. Yeah, but uh, then it's basically USSR wasn't going to listen to uh, your pacifism, right? No. Uh, so it's kind Neither of yeah, be. yeah. So yeah, so you would need to have that. And uh, so going back to the science of the fission fusion uh, bombs or hydrogen bombs, as that Sean was talking about, which are commonly known, is basically in order to get a hydrogen bomb going, you need to first explode an atom bomb. And then it will create enough pressure and everything to trigger the hydrogen bomb or the fusion bomb. So, yeah, for, it's... So that's so why we're I get like it. we're like a an, a fission bomb required a, an explosive device to yeah like a yeah this is like collapse. a th- yeah th- like a third it, stage yeah in the hydrogen <laughs> bomb you need an actual nuclear bomb fission <laughs> bomb to create enough energy yeah. to mm-hmm. cause hydrogen to what to glue itself together to fuse uh, fuse like that, there's that also deuterium and all, yeah yeah <laughs> crazy yeah so. Crazy. 
So we're just like one step away from the Death Star. Yeah, what which, do we which need? has it takes a bunch of fusion bombs well, yeah. that have what to explode. What can we do? What we, can we do to to uh, to cause an even a more massive explosion well, with fusion bombs? I, I was going to say like uh, they were saying like uh, in the blast radius of the things uh, it killed like one kilometer or one mile when they exploded the atom bomb in um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but mm-hmm. with the um, hydrogen bomb or the f- fusion bomb, they would like come too close to like wiping everything out within like ten fifteen miles. They will. One bomb will pretty much kill off everybody in that city. These, if you want to do that, but they're very hard to do. So in that regard, this is not like a scenario where you see in the movies, oh, a dirty bomb, uh, like a small kind. It's not. So to do this, you need to have a country. Yeah. Not even yeah, not even a place like North Korea yeah. or something like that, right? Yeah, you yeah. would need a huge amount of um, yeah. So basically, opera, yeah. the fairly fairly responsible yet pretty sinister states have these bombs, right? Yeah. Like, so Russia, we do uh, probably China. So not not. I mean, India is supposed that, to have has or has yeah. one too. So there are places which you will have, but. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, this requires huge infrastructure. Not to a get terrorist it. group. A terrorist no, group yeah. isn't going to get one of these. And you know what's really terrifying is that all it takes is one decision from one person to start the chain reaction, which is get you into uh, culture and molecular, and it kind of brings it all together. That one person has the decision to to press a button to make this all happen the destroyer of worlds and that kind of wraps up what we're talking about right is there anything else y'all like to close with we can get energy from those yeah, material yeah. from the bombs yeah that's, that's, actual, that's a good, yeah. good for the last two minutes yeah i mean we can oh by the way we can get really really clean efficient energy from, from that if you yeah see y'all next time on the science <laughs> yeah I mean, people do forget this entire that's one of our thing. last episodes ended like that yeah like, it's like, oh nuclear power is really good yeah the end yeah the uh, i mean just like you do need to remember like in spite of people who are the research stuff most of them did was to get nuclear energy it was not meant for the bombs so but so and so, you, so are you saying there's a fine line between infinite prosperity and death? I mean, I'm saying, do you really think uh, people, when they forget TNT, right? They always think of bomb or something like a dynamite. But dynamite, think about if there was no dynamite. It then, opened up the West. That's I mean, how we got the not railroad. just West, anywhere. Like if you want to get like build an air, like a, uh, what do you say, a railroad or mm-hmm. make a road. If you don't have dynamite, how long is it going to take? Sure. How, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a very easy thing to think about. I mean, that's why how you use it is going well, it's to... technology, yeah, right? Yeah. It's right. going to matter. Yeah. So, I mean, we can take the entire material they have lying in the nuclear bomb and we can have a like, yeah. nuclear reaction. You can also and, and... rob a lot of trains, though. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Imagine I if think... Jesse James had nuclear technology. <laughs> exactly. Nuclear <laughs> bullets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to be fine. I think uh, we've opened Pandora, oh, Pandora's box, but um, we're going to put the, we're going to put it back in. We're going to be fine. Yeah, we're going to make it. All yeah, right. Well, there we go. We'll see you next week on uh, the next episode of uh, the Science Nights, where we try to put Pandora back in the box. Mm. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Let's talk about Pandora. We'll just realize that we are Pandora. <laughs> yeah. So. There we go. All right. See y'all next week. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Science Nights in the Morning. Be sure and follow us on Patreon for exclusive gear and uncut episodes. Check out the latest science articles on our Facebook page and subscribe to us on YouTube and your favorite podcast listening app. You can also listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time at BigBenRadio.com. And if you got a question, we'll join the discussion. Hit the hotline at 432-217-1983 and record your message. We couldn't do this without you, and thank you so much for listening each and every week. That's Science Nights in the Morning with a K, and we'll see you next time.